over 2 million people could die in China, a new study predicting a death peak in January, and a Beijing funeral home cremating five times more bodies daily. Applications for American visas on hold for Chinese citizens. Meanwhile, the German embassy in Beijing also halting its visa services. A new study ranking nations around the globe by how much sway the Chinese communist regime has over them. We examine how world powers measure up. A bill against forced organ harvesting unanimously passing the Canadian parliament. It aims to hinder people traveling from Canada to China for transplants. And Italy putting a stop to Chinese police patrolling on its streets after a report raised alarms about overseas Chinese police stations in the country. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Dead bodies are lining up in funeral homes in Beijing, reportedly linked to COVID-19. Several health data institutes have run models to predict the casualties. And they are seeing shocking results. Let's zoom in. A catastrophic scenario could play out in China over the next three months. Over two million deaths from COVID-19. The forecast model comes from health data analytics company Airfinity. It also sees the possibility of up to nearly 280 million infection cases across the country. The result is similar to other expert predictions. The populations at greatest risk in the world are those that have avoided a lot of transmission and have gaps in vaccination. Uh, and that's exactly the case for, for China. That's because China hasn't vaccinated enough of its elderly people, instead focusing on a strict anti-virus policy called Zero COVID-19. With the country seeing a major virus surge, Airfinity says death would peak in January, while cases may peak in December. That would put China's death toll higher than the United States, with around 1 million deaths since the pandemic began. In Beijing, demand for funeral and cremation services has skyrocketed. A worker at a local funeral home told the Financial Times that his facility cremated 150 bodies on Wednesday, up from just a few dozen on a typical day last winter. Beijing authorities reportedly tasked that local funeral home with cremating those who died after testing positive for COVID-19. Other funeral homes in Beijing were reportedly operating 24 hours a day. There's also a week-long waiting list for an opening. Elsewhere in northern China, a video surfaced online over the weekend showing dead bodies lined up in the local hospital. As concerns over the situation rise across the nation, a worker at one of Shanghai's Christmas markets explained the event saw few visitors over the weekend, noting that people are, quote, too scared to come out. China is trying to get more of its elderly population vaccinated against COVID-19, but it's facing a major hurdle. Many elderly people still fear the jab could do them harm. Over the weekend, health workers went door to door to administer vaccine doses to the elderly. The move comes as the country struggles to reopen amidst a surge of COVID-19 cases. China's official vaccination rate is above 90 percent. But the rate for elderly citizens who have gotten booster shots is only around 40 percent. One resident said she doesn't trust the vaccine because of potential side effects. Western-made vaccines are unavailable in mainland China, so the public has largely relied on homegrown jabs. 
But some people in China remain skeptical over their efficacy compared to their foreign-made mRNA counterparts. In the Chinese territory of Macau, demand has surged for vaccine doses in recent weeks. The bookings are mainly from the Chinese mainlanders, as they can receive mRNA vaccines in Macau. China currently allows foreign nationals to get Western-made vaccines. The U.S. and Germany are partially closing their doors to Chinese citizens for now. As of December 15th, all routine visa services have been suspended, meaning that temporarily Chinese people are blocked from applying for American visas. Those services are still available for American citizens. This according to an announcement from the U.S. Embassy in China on Thursday. The same day, the German embassy in Beijing closed its visa office until January 6th. The German consulate in southwestern China also closed for several days. Consulates in other parts of China are still open. Has China's easing of its zero COVID-19 policy caused a virus spike? The World Health Organization, or WHO, is saying no and backing it up with data from China. The organization said last week that COVID-19 infections were exploding in China intensively, well before Beijing rolled back its strict lockdown policy. Earlier this month, Chinese authorities halted one of the country's stricter policies, placing entire communities under lockdown when a single infection case is discovered inside them. They also reopened some public spaces. But a month before that change, at the beginning of November, online search queries for the term fever exceeded normal levels by five times, both in Beijing and China's northern Hebei province. The same situation appeared in some other provinces later last month. One citizen in northern Luoyang City told us about his experiences. Many families got sick with a fever, all family members included, many friends of mine too. It started after November 20th. I have been infected for three days and feel terrible. China affairs analyst Wang He believes the Chinese communist regime knew about the situation, but tried to keep it quiet. A new study is shedding light on China's influence around the world, and the West's biggest superpowers make the list. The initiative is called the China Index, run by Taiwan-based research organization DoubleThink Lab. It measures how much pull Beijing has over 82 foreign nations. Here's how some of them rank. Considered the most powerful nation globally, the United States takes number 21. That's amid tense relations over issues like China's human rights record and the possibility of a Taiwan invasion by Beijing. Looking north, Canada comes in lower on the board at 37th place. Like the U.S., Australia has recently gotten immersed in a trade war with China and takes an even higher rank at number 12. Over in Europe, top economic power Germany weighs in at number 19. The index's highest rankings mostly come from Asia, with Pakistan listed as the nation most under the communist regime's sway. Cambodia and Singapore follow at second and third, with Thailand taking number four. The study examined countries' ties to Beijing based on nine categories. Those include higher education, domestic politics, economic ties, foreign policy, military cooperation, technology, and cultural links. It also found that China's influence is strongest in sectors like technology, foreign policy, and domestic politics.
Canadian lawmakers voted unanimously on Thursday to pass a Senate bill taking aim at forced organ harvesting in China. The law will create new offenses for organ trafficking and for people who travel from Canada to China in search of an organ. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the law 15 years in the making. An exciting day and a step forward. That's what the sponsor of the bill, Garnet Jenis, had to say about the bill's passage. After 15 years of effort, we're finally going to get the bill banning forced organ harvesting and trafficking uh, to pass Parliament. Uh, and I want to salute all those who have been involved in this effort over the last 15 years. It's a great day. Jenis says he wishes the bill would have passed sooner, but it's better late than never. He says the successful passage is thanks to the efforts of a large number of people and that the biggest contribution has been from the community that's gone out and gathered petition signatures. I want to recognize, of course, David Kilgore, David Matus did the initial work of, of uncovering and exposing uh, all that was happening in China with forced organ harvesting and, and, and trafficking. And of course, the Falun Gong community has been, has been so active protesting, petitioning. Members of parliament across party lines unanimously voted in support of the bill, but successful passage didn't come overnight. The first iteration of the bill was proposed back in 2008. After multiple versions of similar legislation failed to culminate, it finally came to fruition. Authors of previous bills say they were inspired by the work of Canadian human rights lawyer David Matus and late former Member of Parliament David Kilgore. Matus and Kilgore were pioneers in exposing and fighting against organ harvesting crimes. They released a groundbreaking report in 2006 called Bloody Harvest and a book of the same name in 2009. They concluded the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, orchestrated forced organ harvesting from Falun Gong practitioners on a large scale, killing them in the process to sell their body parts for profit. Falun Gong is a meditation and spiritual discipline based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. The persecution of practitioners in China started in 1999 and is ongoing today. Matus called the new legislation life-saving. The law will make it a criminal offense for a Canadian citizen or permanent resident to go abroad to receive an organ taken from someone who did not give informed consent. It will also amend the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act to deny a permanent resident or foreign national access to Canada if they've engaged in activities relating to the barbaric practice. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. China's large-scaled organ harvesting practice is believed to have started with Falun Gong practitioners, later spreading to other groups like the Uyghur ethnic group. No more Chinese police officers will be allowed to patrol Italian streets. That's according to the country's government. Since 2016, China has been sending police officers for joint patrols with their Italian counterparts in cities like Rome and Milan. But now Italy's government says it is putting a stop to the practice. The country's minister of the interior explaining, quote, those forms of cooperation will no longer be practiced. The move follows a report from human rights group Safeguard Defenders. It detailed how China has set up over a hundred police offices in overseas countries, including 11 in Italy and three in the United States. The report says Beijing uses the police offices to intimidate and threaten Chinese dissidents. It also suggests the deal that allows Chinese police to patrol in Italy is linked to the police stations in the country. Italy's interior minister denies the accusation. He said the joint patrols happened from 2016 to 2019 and were suspended during the COVID-19 pandemic.
Taiwan has opened investigation into Chinese-owned video platform TikTok. It suspects the social media company illegally runs a subsidiary on the island. Here's a closer look at the allegation. Taiwan's Liberty Times newspaper reported TikTok's owner ByteDance had set up the subsidiary to tout for business. The report said that would break Taiwanese law that Chinese social media platforms cannot have commercial operations on the island. Authorities have confirmed they discovered a suspected breach of the law and said there was a high risk of the Chinese government collecting users' personal information. ByteDance denied the accusation. Taiwan has banned a wide range of Chinese business operations, from social media platforms to its highly valued chip manufacturing industry. TikTok is not widely used on the island, but is growing in popularity among the youth, according to market research firms. Taiwan has long complained China uses social media to spread disinformation on the island, Beijing claims as its own territory. TikTok has also come under pressure elsewhere, mainly in the US. That over worries about China getting access to users' personal data, which the company denies. Taiwan's accusation comes as a number of U.S. states work to oust the app. So far, 16 states have banned TikTok from government devices. The latest are Montana and Virginia. They joined 14 others, Alabama, Georgia, Idaho, Iowa, Maryland, Nebraska, New Hampshire, Utah, South Dakota, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. Florida's Department of Financial Services has also banned the app from its devices. With energy supply worries rising around the globe, an announcement from Russia is making waves. Russian President Vladimir Putin said Thursday that his country would increase gas supplies to the east, especially China. That's as the West maintains sanctions over the Ukraine war. An important step to reduce the impact of sanctions and other hostile actions against Russia will be the development of port and pipeline infrastructure in the south and east, including increasing the export of natural gas. Russia started selling natural gas to China at the end of 2019 via the Power of Siberia pipeline. That supplied about 10 billion cubic meters, or BCM, of gas in 2021. Its full capacity of 38 BCM should be reached in 2025. Russia also plans to construct a new pipeline, the Power of Siberia 2, via Mongolia. The goal is to sell an additional 50 BCM of gas per year A fleet of Russian warships are heading towards the East China Sea. There, they will partake in a joint military drill with their Chinese counterparts starting Wednesday. Russia said the drill has several goals, including strengthening naval cooperation between the two countries and exchanging combat capability to counter threats at sea. This would mark the third joint drill between the two countries this year. Just three months ago, the U.S. spotted a group of Chinese and Russian warships in waters near Alaska. The warships dispersed after being spotted by a U.S. Coast Guard ship. Coming up, a look at how an American lawyer found out about a scheme run by Chinese tech giant ZTE and how he says the company tried to evade U.S. sanctions and made hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars in illegal profit. That plus the cost he had to pay after the evidence he gave the FBI got leaked. The moment that hit, we jumped up. My wife said to me, we have 30 minutes to get out of this house or we're going to get killed. We'll get to the story in just a minute here on China In Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Receiving death threats, being followed by men in black. A whistleblower reveals how his life turned upside down after exposing Chinese tech giant ZTE's plot to evade U.S. sanctions. American thought leaders host Yanya Kellick spoke to Ashley Yapalon, former general counsel of ZTE, for the story. Well, I was the attorney for one of the largest uh, telecom companies in the world, a Chinese telecom company named ZTE. Uh, I got my dream job to go there and started in 2011. I quickly learned that ZTE was under house investigation to being a threat to national security here in the United States. And a few months later, uh, an article came out in Reuters magazine uh, where they got a copy of a contract between ZTE and the country of Iran. And ZTE was selling hundreds of millions of dollars of spying technology. The problem was that they were using U.S. component parts to do that. And again, that's against the U.S. export laws, which say that you cannot sell component parts to the embargoed countries such as Iran. Uh, what ZTE had done and what I discovered was ZTE had created an elaborate scheme where they had set up shell companies that were buying these component parts and then through a series of interactions were getting those component parts back to China and then selling them to the embargoed countries. What ZTE was going to do once the U.S. was investigating them was they wanted to lie and they wanted me to be the scapegoat for them to say that they were not doing anything illegal. Um, that's when I became what is known as a whistleblower and had to go to the FBI and explain what was going on. When did you fully realize what you had gotten yourself into? I mentioned that the House Intelligence Committee was doing an investigation and they wanted to come in, uh, I believe it was April of 2012, to Shenzhen, where both ZTE and Huawei are based. And they came there and they didn't want a dog and pony show. They wanted to see concrete evidence that both companies were not run by the Chinese government. And while ZTE went out of its way to show that they were not run by the Chinese government and were going to show that to the U.S. committee, uh, Huawei took just the opposite course and really didn't care about making a differential between that they were run by the government or not. And what happened was, when I was there in China, and again, that Reuters article had just come out, uh, I was led to a room because I needed to see this contract. I needed to see what, what it truly said. They wouldn't give me a copy of the contract. And I was led into a dark, something out of a movie, a dark room without any windows. And they wouldn't give me an actual physical copy. They projected it up on a wall. And so I had 15 minutes to look through this contract. And any international contract is, is the same. It's split right down the middle. One, half, one side is in English and the other is in the native language here. It was in Chinese. But as I was scrolling through it, I saw a section of the contract that was titled, How We Will Get Around U.S. Export Laws. And it laid out all the shell companies. It described what each one would do. And I nearly fell out of my chair when I saw that. And I knew that I needed to do something. Fast forward to later that afternoon, that's when the heads of ZTE said to me, well, they've, they say that we have all this spying technology in Iran. What if we go over there and we say, we take out all the US component parts? And I said, well, it's too late. They already know that you've shipped it over. And they said, okay, what if we lie and say that we never shipped anything over there? And I said, again, they already know you've done it. And each scheme, each idea, I would have to shoot down. 
till finally they said, we will comply and we will give the US government all the information that they want to know. And I thought, great, finally we're going to be doing the right thing. When I turned around, one of the Chinese attorneys who worked for me said, Ashley, they're speaking in Mandarin right now behind your back and they're saying that they're not going to comply and they're going to make you, Ashley, the scapegoat, that you're going to have to swear to their lies. So I immediately flew back home to the United States. Uh, I'm a lawyer. My wife at the time was a lawyer. All my friends are lawyers. But I ended up hiring five different lawyers to assist me in this, one being a criminal lawyer who said I had criminal implications. And that's when my attorney worked with the FBI and I gave them the information uh, that led to an affidavit which pretty much became what is in the order uh, that is out against ZTE today. This caused quite a big issue for you, right? Because you know you were working for this company, you provided this affid very damning affidavit and um, which, as I understand, reads you know very similarly to you know the final settlement order that they that they signed in 2017. But someone actually unleashed this into onto the world, and then your life changed. Correct. So what happened was I did give that information to uh, the FBI. Spent two days providing them with all the details of everything I knew, the shell companies, the person, the people involved. And what happened, they created the affidavit, and I was told by my attorneys I needed to go back to work as if nothing happened. So the affidavit was used, presented to a judge to sign an order to allow them to come to the ZTE office and look for documents and do what we consider a raid. That affidavit was going to be what we call filed under seal, meaning privileged, no one was ever to know it existed, and what happened, it got leaked. That's when I got the phone call from a journalist who had a copy of it and said he was running the story. Obviously, I was in a panic thinking my life is over uh, and we could never find out, to your point, who leaked that affidavit, but somewhere in the clerk's office, uh, somehow it got leaked and that's when everything just went crazy in my life. But So even to this day, you have no idea? No, I've, I've been uh, approached by several people with what I like to call grassy knoll uh, theories on uh, how that was leaked and why it was, but, but I don't have a definitive answer as to um, how or who leaked it. So you, you don't have a working theory at least? I have a, I have a working theory. Yes, I do. My, and my theory is this, uh, and as an attorney I know how clerk's offices work, and certainly a lot of big things that should be filed under seal are sometimes leaked, and I have a feeling that someone there in the clerk's office who is friends with some kind of journalist or someone in the media provided that, and I think that's how it got leaked. That's the least grassy knoll explanation of such a thing I've ever heard, I think. <laughs> Probably uh, so. Probably so. Um, well, why don't you explain to me what, what you were concerned about, what was, why things went haywire? So you have to realize what I had just provided to the FBI. It ended up being 32 pages of an affidavit of all the information. Uh, and what the information said was, here is how ZTE is getting around U.S. export laws, selling to the embargoed countries and making hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in revenue. So you can only imagine that when the affidavit gets leaked and ZTE gets in trouble, I have just cost this multi-billion dollar company billions of dollars of income and revenue. 
by my leaking and, and giving the uh, the giving away the secret sauce of how they went about doing it. And I knew that um, I've also put a threat on my life. I'm thinking, again, the Chinese government is running the company and that they're not going to be very happy with uh, this U.S. citizen who's just cost them all this money. And so when the article was going to be coming out, I knew it was going to be published. My wife and I were sitting at our computer just hitting the refresh button, waiting and waiting for that article to come out because I knew my life would never be the same after that. And certainly that's what happened. The moment that hit, we jumped up. My wife said to me, we have 30 minutes to get out of this house or we're going to get killed. And that's what we believed. And immediately, my cell phone just blew up from every news agency calling me. And you, you can't imagine, finally I had to turn my phone off, but we went into hiding and went and met with the FBI here in Dallas and met with them. And my criminal lawyer uh, turned to me when we were at the FBI office and he said, I've been coming here as an attorney representing clients for 30 or 40 years. And his words were, I've never seen the level of heavy hitters that the FBI has flown in to meet with you on your case. To watch the full interview with Ashley Yablon, whistleblower and former general counsel for ZTE, please check out the American Thought Leaders program on Apoc TV or click the link down below if you're watching online. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.